morning cbf greetings to one and all in the wonderful name of our lord and our savior lord jesus christ now as much as i would love to be there in person and speak to you today morning but unfortunately due to unavoidable circumstances i had to use this medium i had to admit i'm not someone who's good at technology or at ease or at comfort while using gadgets and especially for these purposes so you will still see me fidgeting around you know my eyes moving here and there me moving around in my chair in uncomfortable positions so please bear with all that but i do hope my message and what i want to share with you today morning it comes across in a very clear and lucid manner and i pray that we all learn from the topic that we will look at together this morning and apply it in our lives as well so we've been on the series the whole council of god that we've been dwelling on for the past few months we had started this beginning of last year and it's been a wonderful ride hasn't it you know we've seen so many different things learned so many different truths we've seen different strands running through history we've seen god accomplishing his work and purpose in different ways and through it all his plan of redemption uh, working in wonderful ways and his plan of drawing us near to him to his kingdom and telling us what is what it means to be part of his kingdom what it means to be uh, leading lives that are redeemed by him you know it's been so wonderful to see these truths so now here we are you know we are drawing to the uh, the last few topics of the series we are down to the last leg of the series and what we will be looking at now over the next few weeks i mean today are some of the practical applications of the truths that we have seen right so we have seen quite a few doctrinal topics and truths we have driven through top verse last about you know justification by faith and what it means prior to that we looked at pentecost the holy spirit the church and now we have start we will start looking at some of the practical aspects we have we had john paul who last spoke to us on the grace of giving right and uh, we looked at how the aspect of giving is not something that we do from our own efforts but it is an outcome of the work that has been accomplished in our life through our savior lord jesus christ and today morning we look at one of the key aspect which is christian joy and as a believer there is something that should be an integral part of our lives so where does the joy come from and what drives this joy how does this joy supposed to reflect in life we will look at that so when you look at a worldly perspective the world draws joy from things from material things right the people in the world think that they have joy when uh, they have robust bank balances they have a good house they have big cars they are able to go on holidays they are able to afford the luxuries and comforts of life and you know someone getting into a good job that is an that is for them a mark of having joy but what the bible teaches us about joy is completely different radically opposite to what the world teaches and therefore again so very counter cultural and that has been a hallmark of the series also right we've looked at counter cultural things and how a life as a believer is supposed to be completely countercultural and that's what we look at this morning at a little bit more in depth and we will look at uh, chapters 5 to 8 of Romans to look at some of these key aspects right so we had raven when he spoke about justification of faith he had covered Romans chapter 1 to 4 and we saw the truth or the key aspects of justification of faith was based on those chapters so of course we know Paul is writing this book to the Jewish believers at Rome and this was a group of people who had come out of judaism who had come out of a faith which or a or a belief system which was so heavily dependent on their ability to follow the law and in the midst of that paul is reminding them that it's not your ability to follow the law or keep the requirements of the law that will help you on this journey or help you on this this uh, new birth that you've had or this new life that you had through jesus it's not that right but rather it's a sufficiency of what jesus has done on the cross his death that has made it possible for each of you to come into this new life and therefore get on this journey and therefore forgiveness of sin sanctification right these are key things which cannot be accomplished by you trying to follow the law or your own self righteousness it has to be based 
on your belief in the work of the Lord and your reliance, dependency on that marvelous truth. Right? And that's what he, he's covering this whole book predominantly, right? So when he, in chapter 1 to 4, he talks about what it means to become a disciple or how does that happen? It happens when, you know, we are justified by faith, we are made righteous, we are declared righteous by Jesus and by doing that, he's declaring us not guilty. And therefore, he's taking away that, that writing of guilt as you find in the Old Testament, in the scriptures, right? That writing of guilt was against us, that has been removed and therefore, we have now been given an opportunity to become a disciple. And then in chapter 5 to 8, it's about how we continue to be a disciple, how being a disciple, sustaining as a disciple, right? What does that mean is what is predominantly defined in chapter 5 to 8 and that is hinged on the aspect of Christian joy, right? So because we've been justified by faith, because a marvelous work for us has been accomplished on the cross, we ought to have joy and that joy needs to reflect in the different aspects of our life. Right? So therefore we have in these four chapters the doctrine of sanctification, of holiness, of growing towards holiness, of understanding the benefits of being justified by faith and therefore what does a life of a righteous devoted disciple ought to look like and what does justification need to lead us into. That's what is contained in these chapters, that's what we look at and this all sums up to the truth of Christian joy, right? Because when we are sanctified, when we are we are continue to be sanctified, made holy, and that as we pursue righteousness, it gives us a joy which is indescribable, which is uh, beyond understanding of the world itself and which truly draws us more closer to him and makes us yearn for his coming as well. So that's what we look at. And therefore, you know, the key things that we see is that sanctification or this pursuit of Christian joy, it follows justification does not come before it so therefore we have chapter 5 before chapter chapter 3 rather before chapter 5 where he talks about justification and then sanctification follows right so it's against against the worldly view or maybe if we look at the the faiths around us where work is given predominance right if you work if you do this you will you are justified and that's not what bible teaches that's not what you know, faith in Jesus means here justification comes first and then sanctification. Therefore, you know, it's sanctification or that pursuit of holiness, pursuit of joy. It comes as an outcome of what God has done for us, what Jesus has done for us, right? And therefore, and, and this process of sanctification that we are in right now, again, we are not alone. We are not in it on our own merit. It first Peter chapter one and verse five. It says that who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So here we are that we you know we see that we are kept by the power of God. Then John chapter 10, verse 28 and 29, it says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. So we are kept by the power of God. We are in the hands of Jesus and we are in the hands of the father. We are in, we are kept safely in, in the hands of the father and son where no one can snatch us out. And that's what triggers joy. That's what gives rise to Christian joy. And therefore, Christian joy comes from the assurance that we are kept by the power of God, that our salvation is secure in Him. So today morning we look at 10 things, 10 truths uh, pertaining to the Christian joy or 10 things which is supposed to be the foundation on which the joy is based. These 10 truths reflect what a life of truth and righteousness must look like. These aspects are supposed to spur us on to lead a life of good works, of showing love to others and therefore allow us to be a devoted and a righteous disciple. So we'll look at these 10 things one by one and we'll we'll list down these 10 things. So, you know, there are there are going to be seven things which is enabled through the Son, you know, Christ the Son or God the Son. There are two things which are enabled by the Spirit and one thing where, or one truth where the Father, Son and the Spirit come together to make that happen. So we have 
you know, the, these 10 things right in front, you know, if, if you're able to see the slide now, you might see them listed them, listed down. So the, one is through Christ we are at peace, to Christ we stand in grace, to Christ we have hope for glory, to Christ and his cross our sins are covered, to Christ we are set free from sin, to Christ we are transformed into righteousness, to Christ we are free from condemnation. And then comes the work of the Spirit. So through the Spirit, we have regeneration. Through the Spirit, we are adopted into the family of God. And then finally, through the Father, Son and the Spirit, we have security of salvation. And these 10 things, these 10 truths are what you know, gives us that joy and on which our joy is based. So we look at these things one by one. So the first one we look at is through Christ, we are at peace. So we read chapter 5, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. It says that therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we through Christ we are at peace and it's that peace which gives us that joy. Right In, in chapter 5 and verse 1 that we read and also later on in verse 11, you know, it talks about situation where the hostilities between God and man has ceased to be. Right? You know, when we were in our sins in chapter 1 to 4, it, it talks about how God's wrath was upon us because of our sin, because of the depravity of mankind. And God was at war with us because of the fact that we were rebelling against him. But that situation has changed. That hostility has been replaced by a loving relationship. We have peace because God has made reconciliation. How did he do that? He did that by not removing his wrath, not forgetting his wrath. He put his wrath on Christ Jesus. And therefore, that is what has brought about that peace. So peace here is not about what we feel about God. But it's what God feels looking at us. But because when he looks at us, he's, no, he's not looking at us or our abilities. He's looking at his son and what he has done on that cross. And therefore, we have peace. And therefore, this truth, it gives us stability because we know that we have been now justified by faith. And therefore, we are now at peace with God. Peace here is not a, you know, a face of tranquility or a, you know, it's not a, or a place of calmness or absence of any, any problems or absence of fear and doubt. It's a situation where we who hated God once, we who were at loggerheads with him, we now have a loving relationship with him. Right? That's what peace here talks about. And therefore, you know, when we face different circumstances in our life, when we are going through the ups and downs, the reality that God is at peace with us, it, you know, it gives us a, a joy and assurance. It, it affects our, you know, our emotions. It affects what we go, feel at that point of time. Right? Because imagine if we were still at enmity with God, and then we have the troubles and trials of life. How are we expected to deal with that? How are we expected to join midst of that? It cannot, right? It can only happen because he has made peace with us. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14, it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So again, it's not that we did anything. It's Christ who's made that peace possible. Isaiah 32 and verse 17 says, And this righteousness will bring peace. Yes, it will bring quietness and confidence forever. So the work of righteousness, work of Jesus, you know, it's it happened on the cross and it's a continuous process. It's an intercessory work that even today the Son does, Jesus does for us and therefore he maintains that peace and therefore because that peace exists, because we don't have hostility with God, this is a new covenant that we've been brought into, right? And when we read in Ezekiel about this new covenant, it says, I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statues. You will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. Because he is our God, because he is our peace, we therefore are having that joy and that foundation of a joy comes from this. Therefore, this is the first truth that through Christ we are at peace. Second truth that gives us joy is that through Christ we stand in grace. I will read verse 2 of chapter 5. It says that through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. 
the first part of verse 2 that we just read right so here we have in verse 1 we said we saw that we are having justified by faith we now have this now it says here now that we are introduced by faith into grace so justified by faith and now introduced by faith introduced into what that's what we look at it is the grace right so you know we have been provided an access to god through the death of christ now this was something especially when the jewish believers they would have heard read this it would have shocked them because it was something which they were not used to in their previous faith because there the access was restricted we know about the high priestly system right and the once in the year and all the things that they had to do to enter into the presence so when paul says that we have free access to now god through death you know it's it's a radical change for them because when they were under that law that law was a constant reminder you know that judaism was a reminder to them that because of the sinful nature and the inadequacy they were never good enough they were unworthy but now these same people right all of us have been given an access to god we even we were no different right imagine have we who are the most worst, the worst of all sinners today we have been given access and therefore we stand in grace so therefore it's not just and again it's not just the access has been given into the presence of god but if you again look at the old testament right we understand what it even means to be in the presence of god it's not just okay we were far and now that we are brought near but what next right when we look at how the people of god especially the, some of the old testament characters how they reacted when they were in the presence of the lord we we saw manoah samson's father you know he when he comes back to his wife and the angel visit he said surely we will die because we have seen god and that used to be the common reaction we will die because we have seen the face of god or we will die because we have seen his presence on the mount sinai the people were not able to with, you know withstand the glory of the lord so imagine the fact that we have been given access but what happens next right when we get access it's not about just opening the door but once open door come inside even then we are not worthy even then we are not equipped to really be in the presence of god this is where this standing in grace means and that is also something which is enabled us or enabled to us by god and therefore that's what enables to sustain that holy presence of the lord where we are not even equipped or worthy to stand and again this is the work of the lord in, in ephesians 28 verse 9 through grace you have been saved not by works right because our works can never satisfy that holiness the requirements of the law and therefore we'll always be inadequate if we were to draw near with works but this is where the grace of god is given to us and we are able to stand in that presence and what does standing in grace imply it means that we are in the kingdom of god where grace is operations 24 by 7 there and that is what allows us to be there right if not if that grace was not there we heard about the sustaining grace from john when we were looking at giving grace of giving there's a sustaining grace which helps us day by day if is that grace which enables us to stand in the presence of god otherwise even if we enter you know on our own or our own merits on our own weak nature we will never be able to stand so this is the standing in grace means that we are in that kingdom of god where grace is constantly in operation and it will never cease and therefore we are constantly surrounded by grace we are constantly being cleansed because otherwise there's no other way right a god is still holy his holiness has not changed his standard of holiness has never changed it's still there but for us to be there we who yes we've been redeemed we've been regenerated but still we have our weak weak flesh uh, within us right for this therefore even with that we in that presence of the lord we need to have that constant sanctification cleansing done and that's what god does to us through his spirit and through the son and that's why we also start we will start seeing the work of the holy spirit coming in as well so there we are you know in his presence and it's it's a it's an environment where christ is constantly making intercession for us you know and this is what you know he talks about in verse 20 in chapter 5 he ends by saying that you know where sin increased grace abounded all the more so where sin is increased 
grace of the Lord is constantly work and that's what gives us that assurance right you, and that's what you're standing on that grace and that's what gives us the joy knowing that we who are not deserving of his mercy we are in his presence and therefore whatever circumstance comes in our life whatever we end up facing we are standing on grace and nothing will ever change that right so that's the second important truth that through Christ we stand in grace third truth uh, that we see in the second part of verse 2 of chapter 5 is through Christ we have hope for glory it says here that and we exult in hope of the glory of God. Right? So what is this hope and what is this glory of God and how does it impact our joy? Right? So this so this hope or the Christian hope, you know, it's it's not a, a subjective hope. It's an objective hope. It's, it's, it's having a confidence in things that is yet to come, but we know for sure it's true. And it's so different from the worldly hope. It's so different from the, you know, the kind of hope the world has. It's where it's more of a, you know, chance-based reality. Okay, if, you know, we hope this will happen. We hope this will come true. But when we hope, a biblical hope, when we hope in certain truths of the Bible, we know that it will happen for sure. And again, we have this hope because we have been given the access into the presence of God. It's not because we are based, our hope is based on something else, but it's based on the access that we've got into God, uh, uh, into His presence and the fact that we stand in His grace. And because, you know, when we look forward to these things to come, when we have hope on these things to come, you know, we, will, we know that we will see and receive glory of God because of what? The truth that we learned earlier to this which is that we have been justified by faith it's not our works it's not our efforts on which this entire thing is based since it's based on the work of christ therefore our hope has a solid standing in ephesians 1 and verse 13 now it says that in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that we who first trusted in christ should be to the praise of his glory and in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Right? So you know, we've been given an inheritance, we've been given a hope. And you know, to, to that end, we are the first to hope, it says, and we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And in verse 18, it goes on to say that we know the hope of the calling. So we've been called, we've been predestined. And that's something which um, just bolsters this hope, which just reinforces the hope. So again, you know, it's, as I said, it's, this, this hope is not based on something which is fleeting, right? Which is based on our works or which is based on something weak. No, it's based on the work of Christ as well, based on the work of God, and that will never change. And this hope, it makes us rejoice in the glory of God. It excels in the hope of the glory of God. And what is this glory of God? You know, if we if we look at it a little bit more intently. So there are two aspects of it. So one, there's a glory of God. It's His original glory, right? Of you know that. Uh, that that the glory which the Lord possesses, and one day we will see that glory face to face. In our earthly form, we'll never be able to see that. Moses was not able to see that; he got a part glimpse of it. And so, in our earthly form, we'll never be able to see that. But one day, when we are with him in heaven, we'll see the full extent of his glory. Second aspect of it is this same glory was supposed to be given to us when man was created, when Adam was created. But due to the fall, due to sin, we lost that glory. Right? But then, when we reach heaven that process of glorification also will be complete. And then because we have been justified by faith, our glorification also will eventually come to pass. Second Timothy 2 and verse 10, it says that, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation. And note this uh, phrase that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So our hope you know, is not just based on the work that the Christ uh, did on the cross. It's not limited to that, but also what will happen, what will come to be, when he takes us up or when we join him through death and that's a that's a marvelous hope that we have it's a marvelous aspect that you know we've all been given 
and that's what again generates Christian joy. It's, it's, I mean, it's not hard to understand, right? Imagine having a hope which is sure, you know, and ha having a hope of of greater things to come, which is certain for us because of the work that has been done for us, because of the fact that we have been justified to pray, that we've been declared not guilty, because you know, because we've been declared uh, fit to be His disciples, to be in His kingdom. So therefore, our hope becomes sure, and therefore that hopes generates joy. And when we go through difficult times, when we go through trials. Uh, you know, this this hope strengthens us because we know what is on the other side of the suffering. Right? When we when we when we lose someone, when we when we know someone is going to leave us, right? there's an element of sorrow, but then that very soon gets eclipsed by the hope that other side of it, there is that glory which will never be taken away, right? And that gives us so much joy. That that generates so much joy. And that 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 is what ought to be what Christian joy is. And when, when, and when imagine when we have that joy, when, when nothing fear, fears, you know, nothing, uh, it causes us, to, causes us to fear. Nothing takes away our confidence in God. Nothing shakes our stability because we know that something far greater than what is in the world is there for us. How much joy and how much peace it will give us. So therefore, greater the suffering, the brighter this hope and greater the longing for us to reach heaven. And that in, in Paul ends this particular phrase in you know, verse 3, he says, that uh, not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character and proven character, hope. So these sufferings which come in our life, trials which come in our life, it it generates in us perseverance, it generates endurance. So the more severe our trials are, God will give us the grace, uh, that hope that we have in us, in Him, it will enable us to endure it much more patiently, knowing that the end of it is something far greater than we can ever think of. And therefore, that's why He says that, in verse 5 that hope does not disappoint what does it mean that hope doesn't disappoint is that it just reinforces to that our hope is not like the hope of this world or things of this world where it may happen it may not happen it's something for sure so therefore if we continue to cling on to this hope it will not leave us disappointment it will not deceive us we will not be left in a situation oh i believed and i was you know i was deceived it did not happen what i was promised it did not happen no that will never happen because we have the assurance in God and therefore we exult, therefore we have joy and therefore we will, you know, we can we can go through anything that comes in our life knowing that this hope is there to take us through and hold us through. Do we really experience that? That's a question for us, right? When we've been through a pandemic, we've been through some difficult phases last few years. Have we felt, for the past few months, have we felt that joy truly eclipsing each time we went through a sorrow? Did we feel after the you know, end of a trial or persecution event, or even right now, some of us may be going through a time of persecution or tribulation. <clears throat> so, in the midst of that, do we experience this? If not, we need to really evaluate uh, where are we truly standing, or that have we experienced that salvation? Have we experienced justification in its more uh, core manner? So, that's the third truth. Fourth truth that we look at is in uh, verse 12 onwards of chapter 5. and this is that through Christ and his work on the cross, our sins are covered. Now, why is that important, right? So here Paul draws that comparison here in verses 12 to 21. In 12 to 14, he talks about the impact of Adam's sin and impact it had on, you know, on, on the worldwide arena, the worldwide sin which came sin. But in contrast, he talks about the work of Christ in chapter 15, uh, chapter 5 and 15 onwards. He says that, but the free gift is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression of one, many died much more to the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to us, abound to the many. Gift is not like that which came to the one who sinned. For on one hand, the judgment arose from transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. 
he goes on to say in uh, in verse uh, 19 for as through one man's disobedience many were made sinners even so through obedience of the one many will be made righteous right so you know all our sins are covered all our all our guilt is covered by righteousness because of what jesus has done for us right so what because of what adam did sin came into the world and because of sin evil came and because evil came the joy was lost right the joy which was supposed to be there the repurpose for which lord made us what made adam and mankind was supposed to be they lost their joy when sin entered the world right and therefore it had to be someone really special who could restore that joy and that's that person was jesus christ because when he died he brought life he nullified you know the act of adam on that cross he brought in reconciliation he brought grace he brought forgiveness he brought hope and he brought adoption which we will look at in some time right so the the grace overpowered sin on that cross the work of christ overpowered that of adam righteousness reconciled us to god and it has opened up the door to all heavenly blessings for us and that's the marvelous thing that has happened and that's that's taken place because our sins have been covered because we have been redeemed that these sins do not stand against us as a as a accusation but it's been removed permanently and therefore knowing that our sins are covered knowing that our sins are being have been forgiven it ought to give us great joy because there's nothing holding us back now that there is there is no that the power of sin has no hold over us anymore death has been defeated right so therefore now even death cannot take away the joy from us that's why as christians as those who believed in christ you know we ought to or we we face that death with joy knowing that beyond that grave there is something much more greater and we've been able to have that access to god because the fact that our sins have been forgiven therefore jesus sacrifice is sufficient to cover all our sin abundance of his grace takes away all our sin and that you know we have been made righteous and this righteousness knowing that the work of christ it for, can forgive all sin right it, even if we commit sin today even if by knowing our sin happens even we forgiveness for that and that's something which gives a joy and this is joy just never there you know for these jewish believers when they are on the law because the law was very strict it says that even if you broke one requirement one stipulation you lose it right you lose the privileges you you violated the law you cannot have the joy anymore but in the in the in the grace of god you know which is what we will read in subsequent verses that we are not under law but under grace we look at that but that's a change right that's what being free or having a sins covered that's what makes the change happen in life it truly removes the fear that we live in it removes the the sorrow that we constantly live in knowing that we will never be good enough knowing that we will never be able to fulfill the requirements of the law knowing that we are sinners that sorrow is removed and that fills us on the contrary with joy and that ought to bring us joy so that that's a key truth as well and that's the fourth truth moving on to the fifth truth uh, sort of a connected to the fourth one is that through christ we are set free from sin so what's the difference between having sins covered and set free from sin uh, that's something which you need to understand a bit more uh, a minute more in detail right so in, uh, in chapter 6 right so paul ended chapter 5 with that very famous verse and that you no know, we just talked about that where grace abounded or rather where sin abounded grace abounded all the more right so when this when this truth was proclaimed by paul there was a set of folks who opposed it or even you know when we tell this to the world or tell this to our friends right quite naturally question will come is so if grace abounds where sin abounds does this mean that we continue doing sin that it's okay for us to be in sin because grace is there more so you know even if we sin more it'll you know it'll it'll uh, eventually be eclipsed by the grace is that is that what is we are supposed to understand and learn to miss no not at all and that's why emphatically 
Paul starts chapter 6. He says that what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. No, not at all, he says. And that's what it indicates to be not just having not just having our sins covered, but also to be free from the power of sin. Right? Because when we are in this earthly form, when we have in this fleshly uh, realm, sin is not taken away in full. That will happen one day, you know, when Christ comes and when the new world and the new earth is created. That time sin will be removed in full. But till that point, sin remains. We are in the sinful world and therefore surrounded by it. And therefore there is an element of, uh, you know, temptation or that, you know, that proclivity for us to fall into that sin. Right. But there, but then that's where the grace of God comes. And that's why it says that through Christ, we are now set free from sin because now we don't have to worry about what that sin can do to us. Right. We don't. It's, it's a completely wrong notion that we can. It's OK to continue doing sin because grace is there. Because it clearly says in verse 1 and 2 that may it never be. How shall we who die to sin still live in it? So there are two things because of which it's not okay to continue sin. One is we have died to sin, that we are dead to it. Our relationship with sin has changed. right? And then in verse 3 to 6 he goes on to say that uh, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So therefore, what Paul is saying is, look back at the time of your conversion. Look back to the baptism. Look back at what happened at that time. Now, when 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 you believed on the Lord Jesus, and when you testified in the waters of baptism, your old lives died with that, right? Your old lives were crucified. And therefore, you cannot have the desire to sin anymore. We have a new life, and that new life does not cause us to have desire for that sin, right? We, we've... We've been immersed with Christ, it says. In, we read in Galatians 3 and verse 27, that for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So we have put on Christ. We are immersed into him. Right? It's not just a, a distant transaction that has taken place. Right? moment we accept him as our personal savior, moment we accept Jesus into our lives, you know, he, he is a part of us and we are a part of him. And therefore that new life that we get through him, it's a life where sin does not have its power on us. Earlier it had. And that's why we were in sin. Earlier we were slaves to sin, it says. Right? And therefore, this new life that we are given, we are not no longer slaves to sin. We are free from the power that sin can exert on us. Right? Knowing that our old self, it was crucified on that cross, that body of sin has been done away with. In verse 6, it says that knowing this, that our old self was crucified, uh, you know, it says that body of sin may be done away with so that we will no longer be slaves to sin. And that's the change that Jesus has brought. That's the change Christ has brought. Therefore, earlier in the law, you know, it was always a constant fear that I will never be able to meet or I will always fall prey to sin. Because see, what the Lord did was it, it exposed what sin was. It never gave a solution to that. It told this is what is wrong. That's, you know, this is what is a violation of God's law. Uh, but there was no way to for us to free ourselves from it. And that's what the Jewish believers would have been understanding when Paul is writing to them. So when Paul here says that, you know, it's not your ability to follow the law. You go by following the law, you will never be able to meet the requirement. You will always be under the power of sin. But Christ has freed you completely uh, because you have put on Christ, because he has made you a part of him on that cross and when you accepted him. And therefore, you know, it's, you know, uh, everything has changed. Psalms 14 verse 3 says, we have a new song. Revelation 2 and verse 17, we have a new name that will be given to us. Ephesians 4.24, it says that we are a new man. So everything is new. Therefore, we need not worry about what sin can do to us. Therefore, in, it says in verse 11 and 12, he goes on to say that, uh, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. We are not to let sin reign. You know, our, uh, while the one-time act of forgiveness has been achieved by Christ, 
but now since we are in that world since we are in this world since we are constantly surrounded by sin it's up to us that part of work is up to us to try and not allow ourselves to fall prey to it and we cooperate with the spirit in the process of sanctification and when we cooperate willingly joyfully you know that brings about a complete change therefore we are not we are not constantly now afraid of what sin will do or afraid of if we end up doing something wrong or not we have an assurance that we have the spirit working within us leading us constantly cleansing us and therefore how much joy this need to give us right so look at this aspect right so this you know how wonderfully god has brought in uh, this aspect of joy drawing from fact that you know we are we are free from the power of sin i mean does is anybody in the world can even understand uh, no right i mean they are they are completely oblivious to it we see the world around the times are living in sin the extent of sin the types of sin the severity is just increasing exponentially right a lot of sinful things are now being normalized the world is moving in direction which is completely opposite to where we are moving we are being constantly cleansed we are being constantly made righteous but the world is on the other hand is moving to a place where it's constantly engulfing itself more and more in sin and therefore taking on sin more and more and therefore you know their concept of joy is so uh, temporal right that's why they turn to the things of the world to hide the fact that deep down there is that void deep down there you know there is that the distance from god is increasing because of their sins but we are being made more close and therefore our joy increases and that's what you know it's is a more sustainable a more tenable form of joy because if if our joy is based on things of the earth which is seeped in sin it can never truly last what will ever be lasting is the fact that you know we we have been freed from the power of that that force uh, which can completely ruin our joy which is sin right we know the effects of sin right we know what sin can do to us and therefore when we trust on lord when we let him do his work in our life we are freed from sin therefore our joy abounds so that's that's one very important truth as well so that's the fifth one and then we come to the sixth aspect which is that so one we are now we were freed from sin that our sins are forgiven then we are we are you know being set free from sin and then along with it we are also being transformed into righteousness so it's not just the evil part the sin part going away but even we are being moved to the righteous part righteousness part of it as well as the transformation which is constantly happening right when you read chapter uh, verse 15 and 16 it says that what then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace may it never be do not do you not know that when you are present yourself to someone as slaves or as slaves of obedience you are slaves of the one whom you obey either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness so here there's a choice is being laid out and it says that if you present yourselves to someone as slaves of obedience you are slaves of the one whom you obey right so who do you obey today and this is where you know again the work of the holy spirit comes in right because you know if if left to ourselves we may uh, end up you know going back to following the earthly things and the earthly realms but then since the spirit of is within us he is uh, moving within us he is working within us to have obedience towards you know towards the son towards god the father and therefore you know it verse 17 it talks about situation which changed when god brought about a change and in what change did he bring he gave us a new heart again we looked at the new covenant right a new spirit within us new heart within us and therefore we been freed from sin and now we are slaves of righteousness in verse 18 it says and having been freed from sin you became slaves of righteousness so the outcome of us you know we being freed from that sin is that now we are pursuing righteousness we are slaves to it and slaves is not a bad thing it's not you know a negative thing in in its form right so uh because sometimes we look at or we hear the word slaves it brings in that oh this is a burden something it's something that you know it's it's a downward movement for us but that's not the case uh 
life lived in servitude to god and righteousness it's it's so free because we are no longer shackled by um, you know the evil things of the world or things which leads leads us towards destruction which takes away the joy from us but rather we are now shackled to things which truly gives us peace which gives us hope and we have standing in that grace and therefore we are being completely transformed into pursuing that righteousness right so now this does not mean that we lose our ability to sin or suddenly there's a you know that we constantly desire righteousness that's not what it indicates but rather um, it's that that our desire to sin is diminished right it's that our proclivity our inclination to pursue things pursue evil things that reduces that's what transformation brings about that change and it's a constant thing right we we learned about in our camp last year that how is a lifelong process where we continue pursuing transformation and then that continuous pursuit of 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 righteousness and that transformation it brings in joy into our life because now we are no longer slaves to sin we are no longer slaves to the uh, you know the the sinful desires of our heart or of our of our flesh but we are uh, we are now inclined towards the righteous things things of god things which gives us you know true meaning of peace right things which are leading us one day to see his glory and that brings in joy and therefore you know he ends chapter 6 by that very famous verse in 20 this is for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord so our hope or our vision is not on eternal things it's not on temporal things our things are not or our sight is not on things of this world and that's something which is supposed to bring about a change in our perspective but is it bringing today's a question i think which all of us can ask ourselves right because most of the time i think the things that we pursue or desires that we have it does not reflect the fact that our treasures are in heaven right i think we heard about that so i'm not delving into it in deep but we know what this means right therefore now are we are we living a life which is reflecting the joy right is and therefore are we being able to be truly thankful to lord for what he has done for what he has accomplished so that's something which we need to evaluate and uh, really examine if it's happening in our life or not so that's the Uh, the sixth part, which is that uh, sixth truth, which is that Christ is transforming into being righteous, and then seventh aspect is that through Christ we are now free from condemnation, and which is where it brings us to chapter seven, right? Um, so most of this thing really we we've seen the last three four aspects can be related, but we see them as a progression, right? So our sins are covered, we are freed from the power of sin, we are being uh, transformed to righteousness, and importantly now. That we are free from condemnation, and he spends chapters and Paul spends entire of chapters and sort of outlining what that means, right? What that what this truth of uh, you know condemnation means, and for the Jewish believers, this was a very important thing that they needed to understand because the law that they followed, that law was a constant reminder of condemnation. That one purpose which the law accomplished was condemn, right? Law was not given to remove sin. That's something which you need to understand also. what the jewish believers need to understand that the law was not given to remove sin in fact on the contrary uh, it it brought in an awareness of sin it brought in to them an exposure of what sin ma- meant and therefore it told them that you are always going to be condemned because you can never meet the requirements of this law because you need to follow the law in its purest form you need to meet all the instructions you, you cannot have that you meet one requirement and you you know you don't do the other that's not that's not how the law was supposed to be So there were that law was given to them to uh, remind them that they needed God, but that's something where they failed. They, they on the contrary, their focus was on that we will try to meet on our own, we will try to do it on our own, and they fail miserably at that. We know. So therefore, when you know he spends an entire chapter telling them that um, you know how this law was uh, not not 
sufficient to bring them to God or to remove that condemnation. Right? He verse says in verse uh, seven, uh, chapter seven, is one to four. He says that uh, he talks about how the law's power has been changed. He says that, or do you not know, brethren? For I am speaking to those who know the law. The law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. For the married woman is bound by law to husband while he is living, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress, uh, etc. Then he goes on in verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also are made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another. He brings in that you know allegory or that and the example of the, of a wife and husband. And he says that you are dead to the law now. right? You are now... You're not joined or you're not obligated to the law, but you're now in the body of Christ. This doesn't mean the law goes away, by the way. You know, it just says that you know you know you no longer under the, are under the curse of that law. You are under now the period of grace. Right? And that's what is in verse one to four. And then verse uh, you know, he says that you are married to Christ, that you know your obligation is now to Christ. In verse five, while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, um, which were aroused by the law. You know, look at this use of the of the phrase. While you were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law. It meant he's saying the law is what led you to those sins. It's you know, it's not the law was evil. It's, he does not. He's not trying to blame the law. He's saying that the law exposed to you what sin was given because if the law was not given to you, you would not even have known that this is sin. You would have continued things. You know, living a life as if everything was normal. But when the law came, it told you this was wrong, and therefore it already had condemned you right by the time you even got to know that you were doing something wrong your story is almost over that's what he's trying to say but then that was changed because christ he was above that law his grace was above the law right law by itself was not bad because in verse 7 to 13 of chapter 7 it describes you know what what the law was supposed to accomplish and that uh, what it's supposed to you know outline but then he says that it its efficacy its efficacy its efficiency stopped with that because it just told you what sin was it never set you free right but then uh, you know it does also provide you a way out it just tells you what things are and therefore therefore you know when he says all that when he describes the you know the efficacy of the law or he rather the lack of it you know he ends it by a cry you know in verse 24 wretched man that i am who will set me free from the body of this death? That's what law leads to. But then look at verse 25. It says that there's a way out. He says that thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So on one hand, I myself with my mind, am serving the law of God. But on the other, my flesh, the law of sin. So, you know, the law points us to Christ. And that's what it's supposed to, uh, you know, law is supposed to accomplish. It points us to Christ. And therefore, through Christ, we are now free from the condemnation of the law. If that had not happened, we would always be under the pressure of that law, we would be under the constant curse of that law, trying to set ourselves free, but failing. But through Christ, through his death, we are no longer under condemnation. And that's what, so this message of chapter 7, or the crux of it is then comes to verse uh, 1 of, or in chapter 8, where it says that therefore there is now no condemnation. So we are now free from the condemnation. There's nothing holding us back. There is nothing hovering above our head saying that we are not worthy or we are not good enough. We have been made free. We are now being transformed righteousness. You know, this new life that we have. And that's such a joyful thing. Do we even realize, do we realize how much joy it's supposed to bring us knowing that there's nothing holding us back. There's not nothing, you know, telling us that we are not good enough or telling us that we are, um, you know, that, that we are unworthy. We, we've been declared righteous. We've been justified by faith. And therefore, no condemnation. Therefore, that brings us to the eighth point, which is, uh, you know, that through the Spirit. So now we were looking at the seven truths all made possible through Jesus Christ, through God the Son. 
and now we have the ministry of the spirit coming in so that the eighth point is so the spirit we have now regeneration and that's why chapter 8 tells us at length that so now we are a new creation we are no longer condemned right and uh, it says in verse 2 to 3 that law the spirit of life in christ has set you free from the law of sin and death right and then he goes on to tell us that how the spirit has changed our nature in verse 5 to 11 it talks about how the spirit changes us constantly it regenerates us right it's so we're no longer uh, you know the old selves that has changed the sins was removed but then a constant process of sanctification now the spirit is doing in our life and it, it gives us different things it tells us in uh, <clears throat> uh, verse 4 that it enables to fulfill the law so again Paul brings in the fact that it's not the law was bad in itself the law is righteous because it's given by righteous God therefore there's nothing wrong in it but for us to fulfill the law we need help and that help is given to us through the spirit in verse 4, so that the requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Right? The spirit is regenerating us, it's allowing us to fulfill the requirements of the law and therefore now have joy. Right? Because this, the ultimate objective of the law was what to enable us to have a, or to enable the you know the the Jewish believers to live a life of joy, live a life of peace, but that didn't happen. But now because we are in the spirit, we are now able to meet the requirements, right? Therefore, you know, in John 3 and verse 3, it says that we are born of the Spirit. Unless someone is born of the Spirit, he cannot be truly free. So therefore, it, it tells us that, you know, we are no longer now hostile to God, that we are no longer away from Him, but our mind, our flesh, which is earlier in sin, is now in place in Christ. And we, therefore, in uh, verse 9, it says that, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If we need the Spirit of God, dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. So we now belong to Christ because we have the Spirit in us. And that's a huge testament of what change of the joy that is supposed to come into our life. So therefore, it in verse 12 and 13, it says the Spirit empowers us to have victory over sin. So sin cannot have no victory over us. We now overcome that. And therefore, that gives us joy, knowing that we have overcome death, we overcome sin, we overcome, you know, we had victory over sin. Earlier we were defeated, we were constantly in defeat, constantly in sin, but now we victory over sin. Therefore, because we have the regenerated life, that regenerated life brings in joy you now we have that very uh, famous verse in uh, or that well-known verse in psalms 51 and 11 right where david writes after his sin with Bathsheba, you now what did he what was his experience he says that take not the spirit from me but restore unto me the joy of salvation so he knew what it meant what sin can do and therefore his prayer desire was that take not the spirit of of this restoration from me let me have that joy and that's what having a regenerated spirit does to us it gives us joy Right, uh, it, it it constantly accords us the joy that we seek, and therefore enables us to have a life that brings meaning. So that's the eighth truth, and then quickly moving on to the last truth. The ninth truth is that we are adopted into the family of God through the Spirit, and that's another key thing the Spirit does. We read from verse fourteen to sixteen of chapter eight. It says that for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Oh, what a wonderful privilege! Praise be to God, isn't it? That He has given us that, um, you know, that adoption in, in to be called sons of God. What greater joy there could be, if not this, to have that ability, to have that, you know, um, that 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 position to be called as children of God, therefore called out to Him. You know, because you know, it's this this absolute adoption. You know, it's not like what we see today when, when Paul was writing at that time the background was different at that time adoption meant that someone was taken completely from their previous family uh, their past life was erased and they were given new rights 
they are given new privileges and that's what paul has in mind when he writes uh, writes is that so we were chosen we were chosen out uh, you know you know we who are sinners we were chosen to be sons we were adopted and therefore it our past is gone we are now become partaker so here the adoption is not just physical uh, it's it's not just sons by adoption but also sons by regeneration what it means is that it's not just that we have been adopted as as physical children or as uh, as just mere children but our nature is also changed right you know when you look at earthly adoption we get someone we are not able to change the nature we may influence that over the period of time through the way we bring them up but deep down it remains same but then when we are adopted in the children of as as children of god into the kingdom of god our even our nature is changed and that's something which is a great truth that we have and that's what has been done for us therefore we are you know verse 23 it says that uh, not only this but we also ourselves having the first fruits of the spirit even we ourselves grown within ourselves waiting eagerly for adoption as sons redemption of our body so this is also talking about a final adoption that will happen when we all will be truly in that heavenly kingdom living our lives as his children right and that's the rights we've been given today that's the privileges that we've been given we've been co-heirs with christ we are we are his uh, you know we are his uh, first fruits of the holy spirit but then one other aspect of this is so you know while we've been adopted what that also leads or what that also lead, uh, leads to an outcome is the fact that we are also co-heirs with him in his suffering right so therefore suffering becomes a part of our life trials tribulations becomes a part of our life conflicts with the world becomes a part of because we are heirs right because that's what happened to Christ right in Christ Jesus also said that the world will hate you because it has hated me so when we are adopted by him as children that hatred which the world gives him it will come to us also but then what assures us is the fact that this conflict or when we have this trials when we are suffering it tells us that we are on the right track it tells us that we truly have a change position and that we are children of god and therefore in verse 24 to 30 it says that uh, as children of god you now we experience of his grace and joy through different means it says that you know it helps in our weaknesses uh, in verse 26 right it tells us that uh, spirit helps us to pray in verse again in verse uh, 26 to 27 it says that and he who searches the hearts knows that knows what the mind of the spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of god it helps us to pray it helps us to intercede spirit is doing that ministry and then that beautiful verse in verse 28 and we know that god causes all things to work together for good to those who love god you know we have his spirit and the son and the father working together so marvelously to do things which are good for us isn't that something which should bring us joy not only have been adopted not only have been changed but here we are constantly spirit guiding us leading us and changing us and allowing us experience of his of his grace and mercy and so much joy it's supposed to bring us but it is it truly bringing a joy in our lives is something that we really evaluate and in verse 30 you know he uh, again a wonderful promise that those whom he predestined he also called and those whom he called he also justified and those whom he justified he also glorified this was the purpose of god you know behind the salvation work it was affected by you know it, it was executed by the son and it is it is uh, done through the seal of the holy spirit so that we are again the father son and the spirit working together you know for for bringing us joy for changing our lives for making us more closer to him for allowing us to experience the fullness of being called sons of god what greater reason for joy than we have than this but is it truly again changing us is something that we need to see and that brings us to the final point right so here we we were now seeing in verse uh, end of chapter uh, or these verses in chapter 8 that how the son father and the spirit are coming together and that brings us to the last point again where these three entities the father son and the spirit the triune god through them we have security of our salvation and this is a beautiful passage 
that Paul ends with in verse 31 of chapter 8. And he says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? As he's summarizing all that he's talking about, summarizing all the aspects of Christian joy, all the aspects of a Christian life which is supposed to be there. You know, the fact that we are free from sin, that we are standing in grace, that we have hope, that we have no condemnation. And all of this, it culminates in a wonderful truth that all this leads to the fact that our salvation, you know, the change that brought in our life is secure forever. Because if that is not, imagine you know, living in fear that what if our salvation goes away or what if we are we do something that takes it away or what if, you know, something happens that can, you know, because it brings our whole world crashing down, right? But that's, you know, that's that's where the truth of, or the wonderful truth of salvation is that it's secure, it's eternal, nothing can change that. If God be for us, who can be against us? Nothing can take us, snatch us out of his hand is what he says here, right? And in verse 31 to 37, he talks about what are the different factors that can cause or he lists down, he's like making a case. He's like, okay, let's look at what all can take the salvation. Can God the Father do? No, because he is for us. Then he says, who, who is the other person who can do? He says, uh, can, can God the Son do anything? In verse 32, it says that, no, he who did not spare his own son who delivered him, will he not also with him freely give us all things, right? You know, he says that since God gave us, gave his son, you know, he gave the ultimate thing. So keeping us secure, will that be too hard for him? No, right? And then in verse 34, it says, uh, uh, Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding. So we are son, God the son interceding for us. He is also therefore attesting to the security of our salvation. Uh, then, you know, in verse 33, 34, can Satan do it? He says, who will bring a charge against God's elect? Usually who does that Satan? He says that no one can do that. Uh, who Who is he who condemns? You know, it's like, it's, it's a rhetorical question. He says that no one can do that. So even, even Satan cannot do that. And then who is the next person? That Can we ourselves do anything about it? He says that verse 37, he says that, but in all things, we overwhelmingly conquered through him who, who loved us. You know, there's another transition. In, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. That's what our stature is. So therefore, we ourselves also cannot, uh, if we've been secured, if we've been justified by faith, if we are the seed of the Holy Spirit, you know, our position is changed to more than conquerors and therefore our security salvation comes from there also. Therefore, in verse 38 and 39, you know, he ends with such a beautiful statement. He says that, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God. The ultimate statement of Christian joy, right? And if this does not give us joy, then, you know, nothing else will ever. No, nothing can ever come against nothing and snatch us away from the you know out of the hands of God. It's such a wonderful truth. It's a truth that is supposed to change us. It's supposed to transform you know transform us. It's supposed to bring us so much joy that we then start reflecting that joy in the way we deal with people around us, the way we love others, the way we way we minister to others, the way we go out with the gospel of the Lord. You know all that we do, it's supposed to you know uh, find its source, find its foundation. The fact that. Uh, this is the work of the Lord, you know, the triune God coming together to keep us safe, to have the security of salvation. Therefore, when we have security of salvation, all other things associated with it, the hope, the grace, the, the no condemnation status, all of it comes into effect. All of it is reinforced because salvation is secure and because, again, it's not that we are doing anything, but the Son, the Spirit and the Father together, they are working together for this to happen. So, as we conclude, right, you know, what do we learn? What do we see? How is it supposed to change this, right? So Romans 5 and chapter 5 to 8, 
this are this is the portion that we just read it's supposed to encourage us to see what a life should look like how our lives ought to be lived like it should stir us up to do good uh, good works to love others to minister others to really move away from things that are holding us back not be worried about things that is going on around us i know it you know it's, it's of course it's easier said than done when we face trials tribulations no matter how how much we have that you know confidence got it does tends to uh, you know waver make us waver but let us in those moments draw our attention back focus back to knowing that where our joy truly came from it our joy didn't come from the fact that we that we have to expect a good health all the time that we are expect to have riches all the time or comforts all the time luxury all the time no that is not what leads to a joy joy comes from fact knowing that you know we are being transformed that we are free from the power of sin that we that our salvation is secure and therefore it needs to make us more confident and joyful and hope you know therefore live a more abundant life are we living an abundant life right where does our joy today comes from where are we finding our joy if your joy is still coming from earthly things then something somewhere is not right we are not really experience that salvation right if you are not finding our joy and that's a question should really truly ask ourselves today let us not deceive ourselves let us not be under the impression that yeah you know our life is going fine everything is okay we are having the blessings of god you know because we feel everything is going fine if things are not going fine even in the midst of that are we truly joyful that is a true test true litmus test of what drives us so may the lord help us do that and also at this time those who are listening to me today uh, you know this question which i also want to put you know are you far from living such a life is your life today not reflecting those who have not known christ are you interested you know in having this joyful life it's it's not life where you are you it's a, it's a promise to you that you will be free from trials difficulties that no problem will ever come no that's not what an abundant life that is there for you but it's a life where no matter what happens you know you will experience that peace of the lord you will experience that grace you will experience that joy if you really desire such a life we would request you to talk to one of us you know uh, you know feel free to have a conversation feel free to chat with us we'll be happy to share more uh, and even those of us who known the lord for quite you know for many years many of us may feel that we are saved many of us may feel that we are living a life of transmission but truly has that been the case are we experiencing this joy are we experiencing that power of having freed from sin are our desires to living leading us to sins if not then good but if it is then we need to really examine so if that be the case please do again talk to any of us make sure that you do not walk away from this discounting the fact that um, you know that this is not or this can be taken lightly no it cannot right because uh, you know this, this is not about a threat that is in front of us but rather a wonderful promise and assurance that one day we will be there in heaven if that happens through our death so be it but if more wonderfully than that if, if that were to happen through the return of the christ are we truly ready will we be assured that you know we will we will get to see that glory uh, is that something that we need to truly examine so may the lord help us to you know as as we looked at this portion help us to truly experience that joy know what it means to have joy and uh, set things right if there are if there's an opportunity for us to do that more importantly submit ourselves yield, yield ourselves to that spirit who set work in us and that uh, who is working everything for the good of those who believe on him may the lord bless his words to us my apologies this may have gone a bit long but uh, i think we had quite a few truths to look at so may the lord help help us and when as we you know discuss the more practical applications through the week in our cell groups may it help us to ponder introspect and course correct as needed may the name of god be glorified